Um, I wanted to, if you don't mind, we can go into another direction later if we need to, but I want to um, capture again this concept of being immersed in a heavenly vision and the power of vision, the power of it. We were on the phone in prayer Saturday morning and rehearsing this vision and, and what compels us and there's a lot of things that are called to animate us in life and and provide an energy from heaven um, but very few things are more compelling to us than than a heavenly vision so there's this great phrase acts 26 19 um, acts 26 19 um, and it goes like this. And so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. The vision from heaven. And I mean, just take a minute here and think about that. God in the heavenly realms, in the throne room, God himself breathed a picture of a future reality into this, into um, Paul. And the words from that vision did not come directly from heaven to him. They came to him through a man named Ananias in Damascus. Now that's really important, I believe. In other words... Uh, God imparted heavenly vision through the agency of human beings, mm -hmm. which is prophetic. The role of the prophet, the role of the prophetic is to conduct or transmit the intention of heaven to earth to where it captures the heart, the life, the and the, and the, and the um, imagination of their kids, God's kids. So the sequence goes a little bit like this. God in Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied that he wanted uh, to, to be a light to the Gentiles. He, he, he wanted his redemptive purpose to include everyone and that the role of the Jews was to be a prototype or a role model to bring light to the Gentiles. But they slipped into an elite spirit and said, no, we're the, we're, the, we're the end game. We're not the means to the end. We're the end. And God goes, no, you're not the end. You're a means to the end. And they didn't buy their mandate. They didn't understand their mandate. So then God says, I'm going to bring Jesus, who will be the light to the world. And okay. Well, then um, in comes Peter and God gives Peter this vision of a sheet being lowered down with all these animals in it and he basically says I want you to take my gospel to the Gentiles but Peter over time capitulates he gets intimidated by Judaizers and he slides back into an elite spirit a religious spirit because certainly these pagans can't handle the gospel and furthermore, I don't know as if I want to be seen with them. All right, well, God's not going to stop his vision for anyone. 
So he takes this other guy named Saul, knocks him off his horse, appears to him, confronts him, and, and realigns his, his mandate, and then takes him to Damascus, and here's this Ananias guy who is terrified, terrified to prophesy. I mean, he's like, if I prophesy, I could be one of the, one of the people put on his hit list. So in trembling and fear, he goes and he, and he gives, delivers this prophecy. He didn't know the background. He didn't know the visitation. Remember, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't given all the information. God didn't want him to have it all. He just had to trust God. And this is God's divine setup all the time. He never gives us the full information, ever. He always creates a God gap. That is terrifying that is awful, that is difficult. Not all the data is there on the table, ever. He, he unwraps the story progressively, and every time he unwraps a new chapter to the story, there's a God gap. You got to leap. It's terrible. It's going to cost you your life. You never know on the other end. But it's it, God does it this way to dismantle the 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 uh, impact of the fall on our human spirit, which is pride and unbelief. He's dismantling our idols of self-trust and self-worship. So the way he leads us, which is so difficult, has a strategy in it to lead us to his Father's heart. All right, he is really good. He knows what he's doing in the way he leads his kids. But you never graduate from faith, ever. <laughs> this is <laughs> I know you don't get there ever in fact I don't think faith ever will leave the equation even in the heavenly realms I think faith is going to be we're always going to be God's be required to trust God okay so Ananias delivers this heavenly vision now, I want to describe what, what, what I believe went on. As Ananias is talking, all that which comes from heaven has an energy that is eternal. It, it's got a substance in it that is beyond anything we can imagine. Okay, now the vision was never to upstage the giver of the vision. Okay, the giver of the vision is Jesus. Paul says, I, 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 I would do anything for Jesus Christ to know him and to love him. The vision giver was always more important to Paul in terms of divine order than the vision. But the vision came from the vision giver. So Paul had to love the vision. He just didn't get to love the vision more than the vision giver. But he had to love the vision because if you don't love the vision, you don't get up in the morning. So what was in him was he, there was an animating influence that saturated his molecular, molecular, his life at a molecular level. He was immersed in the desires of God himself. The, those heart passions of God to reach, to seek, to save the lost, every person, Gentile or Jew, God infused into Paul a divine ambition. 
not a selfish ambition, a divine ambition to go after people, to get in, to, to, to pursue them, to hunt them down on behalf of heaven. Okay, and so in Christ was the desire to seek and save that which was lost. I mean, come on, hunt you down, hunt you down and find you a search and rescue team. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he put that same passion in Paul and then gave him a strategy. You know, twos and threes, micro churches, tens and twelves. Get my point? Elders and deacons. I mean, he just, he did it. And Paul was faithful to the end to this heavenly vision. He was animated by it. Every minute of every day, he got up and ate, slept, and drank Jesus and the vision of Jesus. He didn't have anything else to live for. And everything else was a means to that end. Everything else. His job, his housing, his transportation, his relationships, everything. He was consumed by the king and the kingdom coming to earth and the reaching of the entire population, bringing it under Christ. So he wanted Christ in Christ's body that brought Christ's kingdom on the earth, and that guy was focused. <laughs> I mean, he was focused. But you could also, I mean, I'm not contradicting anything yeah. you said, but I think Paul was... He was an incredible uh, zealot. He was. He had zeal. He had that. You know, not everybody's built like Paul. Mm -hmm. And so, God using Paul, he takes all this zeal, human, human stuff, but and completely redeems it into something. Yes, but I don't. Right now, the emphasis is not on his, on his, uh, his human strengths or personality. Yeah, because what I'm trying to get at is this. Because he was weak too. Paul said, I have weaknesses. I have, you know, in my weakness, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a, you know, he, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to make a point. And here's the point. And I think you're already getting there with me. You're so smart. The point is, God wants you to be satiated to the very core of your morrow with a heavenly vision that animates you and gets you up and keeps you going. No matter what your personality profile is, no matter what your gender is, no matter whether you're a, a lion and an otter, a golden retriever or a beaver, <laughs> in, the, in the temperament analysis tests, he wants you to be, to own daddy's vision. Your, your daddy has a vision, and it's a very big vision. It's bigger than you, and um, and he's looking for people to own that vision with him. He's looking for his sons and daughters to buy into the family business, almighty and sons and daughters. He wants you to, and, and it's something, now I'm going to, just give me a, one more minute here, and then we'll, we'll converse about this, okay? In most religious systems and settings and churches and, and it 
we're not exempt from this either. We're not all that great. I'm not trying to set us up as being them and us, okay? I'm just saying in the human race, we can, we can mistake a mission for a vision. And we can think, here's the mission statement. Okay, I'll check that off the list. I'll look at the brochure of this church. I'll look at their website. And I'll find out if their doctrinal statement is good. I'll find out if their values are good. I'll find out if their mission is good. I'll find out if their culture is to my liking. And if the strategies fit the Bible and my life. I.e. Their, you know, their programs. And so they sign on. And then the church interviews them and says, Okay, you know, here's what it means to be a member here. And um, what... What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your interests? And we're going to plug you in to the, to the mission and the programs of our church. What would you like to do? How would you like to serve the church? We, we obviously want you to tithe and give offerings, and we want you to serve the mission of the church because that's, that's Christian. And people go, okay. That, that's my door into the, fam, into the church family, and that's what I'll do. And people sign up for running a program, being a part or not running it, being a part of it, whatever. And they go through the church script. All right, now, that has about a mu- enough power to keep you for five years at the most. <laughs> maybe, maybe depending on how much soul power you have, depending on your personality type. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. Depending on a lot of other factors, your, 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 the amount of work you have in the workplace, the, your health, your physical health, your emotional health, all those other things will determine the longevity of your ministry to the mission of that church. And it's something that somebody handed you. It's somebody that somebody somebody else handed you, and you bought in to it in a an ex, in a more of an external way. All right, that is most people's stories. And so, when they get in and around us, they they impose or they bring their baggage into us and bring their 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 script, their church script into the rock tribe and we've found that we have to undo all that very quickly because it never works and people never they can't they can't figure it out and so over the years we've learned we, we better do a lot better job of being Ananias's and casting vision not mission to people because that's far more fun and far more animating and far more life-giving. And it gets to the deeper heart of who you are. More than an external mission. Okay, let's get busy. It feels supernatural. It's very su- A vision is completely supernatural. That's the difference. That's the difference because it, it says a heavenly vision. That should be our tip-off. Where did it come from? It didn't come from some guy sitting around stirring up a church growth methodology. Or... A committee thinking about how do we how do we get more nickels and noses into our building, 
and how do we hire the best staff and get the most charismatic leaders, that, 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 that is not even close to the page that Paul was on, nor are we on. And so, even though we employ some of the same lingo on our websites and stuff, we aren't even remotely interested in that script at all. And I found tremendous um, pain in my life when I got called into this heavenly vision and I began to realize there's a huge gap between what I'm animated by and what are the people, what are the other people that have shown up over the years and where their heads are at. So I've, had, I've experienced tremendous pain and hurt and disappointment and so have they because it was like oil and water completely and it's like wow I gotta have I gotta I gotta open my life up and describe something to you that has happened to me that I believe can happen to you because I believe my story can be or could be your story obviously different applications but the animating influence of me I believe it's supposed to jump onto other people. <laughs> Just the way it was on Ananias and jumped onto Paul, and then it jumped on to Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, excuse me, it jumped onto, uh, well, it, it did them actually, but then they kind of got off. It jumped onto <laughs> Aquila and Priscilla. It jumped onto Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people, and it was never to have stopped to this day where a vision upstages a mission any day of the week. And Jesus said to, to his followers, do you want to see the kingdom? Well, then you got to be born again. He was talking about seeing a vision. And without a vision, we go unrestrained. We drift. And I'll tell you what, mission is not compelling enough to restrain you. And, and as you said, mission, uh, not mission, but... Uh vision is a this kind of vision is accompanied by power from on high absolutely and, and so you get everything that's what yeah it's like it, it is it is an energy so profound that it's supernatural it animates people under the worst situations including martyrdom yeah. see you can't be a martyr with a mission you can only be a victim <coughs> and it just feels really it's completely religious. And you get so tunnel visioned on a mission that you can't even hear from the Holy Spirit, you know. Right. It it you can't hear because because it's not coming from heaven, it's coming from man. Well, it's the power of God working within our hearts to align our hearts with the heart of God. So That's it. That's it. And so okay, so I was born in the Jesus movement in the in 71 and I the atmosphere of my new birth was supernatural. I encountered the presence of the Lord the very night I gave my life to Him. I mean, His presence drifted in the room. I was filled with the Spirit. I knew it. I mean, and I, I went from complete pagan to fiery believer in split seconds and, um, in that Jesus movement in, in, in 1971. And so uh, then, uh, you know, life takes life is energized that I'm sharing Jesus and I'm doing stuff, crazy stuff as a kid, 16 years old. And then 
I feel this call to ministry and, and I go into the seminary at Fuller and it's the church growth is, is being produced by the School of World Mission. Win Arn and all these guys are talking about church growth because the church, the denominational church had stalled out and was dying. And so they were all missionaries trying to get us to think about souls and how to do it. But they were not afraid to pull Madison Avenue techniques right out of the right out of their hat and, and you know, get bigger parking lots, do more advertising. They kind of turned the vision into a mission. They turned the vision into a mission. Now their hearts were great for the lost. Not like their hearts were wrong, their hearts were right, but it drifted into mission. And we all, all of us are Jesus movement radicals that had been shaken by you can't believe what the stuff that was hitting us, waves of God, turned all of a sudden we thought the professionals were telling us, church the church growth professionals and our and professors, you guys, here's how you preach for effect. Here's your three points. Here's how you, we, they brought a guy in to teach us how to read the scriptures out loud in public with oratorical excellence. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. They brought an actor from Hollywood to teach us how to read the Bible in a way that wouldn't slur, wouldn't be too fast. It's not necessarily bad. It's not bad because most of us were idiots. We didn't yeah. know how to communicate publicly. So it's public speaking. But I'm telling you, the whole package began to suck us into a script, a mission script. All right, now, I get, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian pastor and I'm running the show and the church is growing, but I could... I knew that that first love presence wasn't quite there. And so I began walking around the building, praying for God to visit this place. I mean, I have a robe. I'm talking about I have a real robe, Presbyterian preaching robe. I have, it's still up in my closet just for, I have, never will I ever do that. Only in a skit will I wear my robe. And so I'm there and my a friend of mine sends me, uh, a, a message, a, a letter says, you've got to hear John Wimber teaching about signs and wonders. It'll change your life. And I go, how do I get a hold of this? He goes, well, you can order his class, Signs, Wonders, and Church Growth at Fuller. He was teaching a class. It was so popular, they had to hire policemen to keep students out of the class. Because <laughs> they were crashing the course. Because God was showing up. So I get these cassette tapes, I start listening to them, and I realize, oh my gosh, it's happening. So I get myself out there, I get rocked completely, I start moving in words of knowledge and the power of God, I bring it back to my church, and I'm a young guy in my 20s, I have no capacity to unroll a vision in a timely way to help people absorb it at all. It's like, it's God, let's do it. I mean, my leadership was a little... Yeah, strained at that point. And I mean, it. God showed up powerfully. And third wave hit our Presbyterian church and exploded the church in both ways. Numerically in good ways and healing came, but also I got investigated by the denomination. It was awesome, which has happened to a hundred of them. hundred churches, leaders in the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church. I, an official investigating committee, commission, was formed to investigate me. Did they try to stop you, or did they say... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Now, the members of the church, most of the younger ones, were loved it. And um, the old-timers, man, they were scared to death. So all kinds of rumors came out. Anyway, the, the investigating commission, they had nothing they could find on us because in the archives of our denomination was an open door to the validity of the gifts. One of my spiritual dads actually won the case in the 60s. So we pull out the archives, we dangle them in their face, and they couldn't, they couldn't, but they said, because there's so much controversy, we're going to require a vote. So they took a vote. I won the vote, but there was enough of a margin of dissenters that it was iffy. So the, the denomination underground sent a message, if you don't get out of here, we are going to make your life miserable. And they were going to force me to do a ton of things. Go get psychological evaluation at Manager's Clinic in Topeka. Go and get reprogrammed by uh, liberal Presbyterian doctrine. Go and get, I mean, they were going to reprogram me. Get the gifts out of you. Get the, get the gifts out of me. Get the Holy Ghost out of me. Shock therapy. Shock, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And I'm like, I'm not having this. I'm not having any of this. So we resigned. And then jumped in with Bickle, Mike Bickle, and who was a teenage friend of mine. And Mike and I, a year later, formed a church planning movement called Grace Ministries. But here's the, here's the thing that galvanized Mike and Mike's relationship. And I want you to capture this. I knew intuitively, because of my introduction to the faith and the Jesus movement and my resurgence of the presence of God in the third wave, I knew intuitively God was changing Christendom in this generation and recovering biblical Christianity. I knew it. And I wanted to be a part of that. So when Mike came to me and says, Tim, I was taken to heaven and God shared me. The, and here's the sentence. God told me, I am changing the understanding and expression of Christianity in this generation. My spirit man exploded. And I knew exactly that that was true. And the heavenly vision absorbed my pores. I got saturated in a heavenly vision. God's going to change Christendom. Now, here's the problem. We got a revelation from God, but our interpretation was off for a while. The interpretation was, we're going to now study revival, and God's going to reintroduce revival to the nations, i.e. Azusa Street. So we became experts in church history as it pertains to revival, thinking that the meaning or the interpretation of that revelation was revival. And it's still going on out there, by the way. Yeah, well... There are churches that are in that place. That was our place. That was our grid. That was our lens. It's God's going to... What's going to happen is, because every revival was birthed in prayer and fasting, we're going to pray and fast, live simple holy lives, and wait for the swoosh. And the swoosh is going to hit the room. And when the swoosh hits the room, the cavalry is here and we're off and running. And that is the story. That's the script. Now, that was amazing to us. That was awesome to us. So we became, as Bob Jones calls us, wine connoisseurs who had never drank wine. Well, we had drank wine, but not this kind of wine. We thought that the uh, third wave was simply a warm-up for Azusa Street because limbs weren't popping out. You weren't putting your hand on gum, gummy teeth and having teeth form. That was not happening. And we thought, until that is happening, the dead are raised, greater works than these, it isn't, it isn't manifested yet. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going for the big one. Greater works than these. By the way, I still am. All right. I haven't left this at all. All right. So now in 1988, May 17, on our anniversary, we're, Jan and I are taking a, a little two-day getaway. And some people came up to us and said, you know, I've been asking them to pray about kids ministry. And a bunch of people started having visions. And it, and it was like green well, green water, Maybe the new principal of the school is Mr. Greenwater, or it has something to do with green. We kept getting these prophecies about green. Well, then we kind of let them go, and we're now at Green Lake, Wisconsin, at an American Baptist Conference Center. And that night, it was late, Janet had fallen asleep, and I'm praying about kids and the next generation. And the next thing I know, Jesus localizes at the end of my bed. That's the only way I can describe it. I could sense his outline there. He, he, he was radiating light. I started shaking under the presence of the Lord. And he began to tell me major things that changed my life forever. And what he said was this. You, when I said I'm going to change Christianity, I didn't mean repeat history. I meant a massive massive, complete change. Not tweaking, not an upgrade, complete change. And that change is going to be on many levels. And the first one being revival, yes, my wine will be poured out, but it will be in the right wineskin of family. I am a father and a son, and I build my kingdom relationally in family. And there is no plan B. So I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children back to the fathers. I'm going to recover the prophecy of Malachi 4, uh, 7 and 8. I'm going, to, I'm going to realign the church from moving it, transitioning it from program into intimate relationships, and I'm going to create a covenantal culture where people are of one heart, of one mind, and of one life, and they're going to exchange my anointed life through connected hearts as family. And I'm calling you to be an apostolic father. And I go, I, I, and as he began to unwrap the, the dynamic of the human spirit that we're sons of God, he goes, I'm bringing many sons to glory. And, those, and I'm a prototype son, and those sons can only come to glory in the setting of family. There is no way you can be like Jesus outside of family. You can't be a son and a mature son without a family. It takes a family to raise a son. And that son has to be adopted by that family, be immersed in the culture of family, where I pour out my father heart through the skin of men and women to radiate my life to them. I am, me and my family are inseparable. You can't have me without my family. You can't have Christ without Christ's body. Now this was shocking to me. Because the Christ's body and Christ's family ha had a lesser level of theology in my life. I did not understand that I could not have Christ without Christ's body. I thought I could have Christ and Christ's body was kind of optional. I didn't, I didn't understand that the body, how the body, all these organic, all this organic language of the fingers attached to the hand, the hands attached to the arm, the arms attached to the shoulder, all that organic language, it escaped me. I thought it was just allegorical. 
and symbolic. And when God told me, he began describing to me the porous membrane of connectedness. And he used that word that all living things are connected to exchange fluids. What makes it living is it's so connected, fluids can be exchanged from one organ to one cell to another. And he goes, I want you, I want the body to be inseparably linked at that level. The family is not an option. You can't just bebop around picking your churches and like you shop for a fitness center or a grocery store. It's not like competition here. You, you, I, am, I am a father and a son. I build my kingdom relationally in family, period, end of discussion, no plan B. We all get kind of put in a soup that you can't get out of. I mean, you can't separate out. Well, it, it's, it's so incredible. And, it's, and he began downloading baud rates and baud rates of data, and I'm not even touching the surface of it. I was given books and books and books supernaturally into my human spirit and weeping and shaking. And by the time he's done, I like literally, I'm so exhausted and so amazed and so riveted, I couldn't sleep hardly the rest of the night. And I was so convicted because I said, God, everything you just described to me about being a spiritual father and everything you just described about being a son and living in a family, I'm none of that. I don't know sonship. I don't know fathering. I don't know family. And you're inviting me and asking me to do something I've never experienced and I've never done and I don't know how to do. And he goes, you're absolutely right. You don't know at all what you're doing. Everything you've learned pretty much up to now is irrelevant. And I was the guru. I was the best church planter on our team. I was the leader of the church planting piece. I was the one who had already taught everybody how to do house churches. I was already the, the guru on how to do church planting and growth. And when the Lord comes and says to me, almost nothing that you've learned is transferable. When I, when I have a new paradigm, everything goes back to zero. Like, I said, I spent a lot of money to learn all that stuff. And a lot of time it goes, bummer. <laughs> I mean, it was just like that. I mean, it was so... No nonsense. It was be, it was the most life riveting moment of my life. I mean, I I don't even know how to describe it. I was captured by the heavenly vision. Now I was captured by the vision before. I just didn't know what it meant, and I'm not even sure Paul understood fully what it meant when when you know God said to Ananias and tell him how much he will suffer. Well, that that that's great when you're, you get the word up front and you're not suffering. It makes sense when you're being, you've had the snot kicked out of you with 40 rods and lashes, 39 plus 1, and then you're in a jail bleeding in a dark prison. And I mean, you know, now it begins to make sense. I don't think you understand up front when you get invited to something. And when God told me this, I knew this is bad. I knew this is not good. <laughs> like when I, I knew it was going to be a suffering package of the highest magnitude. Because I knew I was broken. I knew I was something was not fully right. And I'd been to therapy. I'd done inner healing. But I knew this isn't good. Like, and I'm in my 30s. And I had to go back to the church I planted in Richland Center. I was planting with a group of people already there. And I'm, I'm, we changed the name to Richland Center Fellowship. It was a part of Grace Ministries now up in Wisconsin. We're planting this church. We're forming a building. 
And I had to go and stand in front of this group with tears going, I am so sorry I'm your pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and before I was kind of a little cocky, you know, I was the guy that did know what he was doing. And, aren't, you know, I'm God's gift to, to, to this group. And, and now, in light of the new bar that was raised, the new vision that was put to me, I'm like, I don't have a clue. I was the repenting, the, the brokenness, I was the fear. Like, I don't, oh, you know, I knew I'd herd people into a meeting and teach to them. I knew I'd have children's ministry and youth ministry and programs. But this idea of fathering the hearts of people, connecting the hearts of people so that they were vulnerable and transparent and could conduct and exchange the life of Jesus one to another, life on life, and 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 heal the deep wounds of trauma and bring and bring maturity to be in other words reparent broken people are you kidding me like who's going to do that for me enlightened i thought i was healthier than i was until i met the father and the son and i realized i'm not healthy at all i'm ambitious i'm wounded i've got jealousies and insecurities my inner conversations are negative. I judge people. I'm, I'm like, I'm short. I'm, I'm irritable. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm impulsive. I'm, 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 I'm intimidating. But you have a vision and you're willing. There you go. Well, here's what happened. The vision got me. I didn't get the vision. This is what I'm trying to say. I got captured by the vision. The vision captured me. I wasn't looking for this. I got it. It came to me. Paul wasn't looking for it. He wasn't like, God, I'm, I'm such an awesome guy. You can't do this without me. Give me a couple of directions and I'll go out and help your cause. He was like in the opposite camp killing the Lord. And I was not God's man of faith and power for the hour. God came to me. Now, he set me up, he pre-wired me for this, but, I mean, come on, I, I'm a, I was not the candidate. And, and I had a very dysfunctional home life, very dysfunctional father, and, and my, my, my parents' marriage was awful and terrible, and I mean, it was, I mean, everything about it was awful in terms of the abuse, the alcoholism, the drug addiction, the whatever, it's just, it's just, there was a difficult thing, let me tell you. And I'm not the candidate. I didn't have generations of parents who parented who parented. Driven, ambitious, insecure, fear of failure, rejection. Do I need to say more? I mean, like, lust in my life. I mean, unbelievable. Well, the person who has their, you know, what he, he did, I, he did. I had to go up there weeping and go, I'm so sorry I'm your pastor. And God loved it. He loved it. I mean, I was like, I was just telling the truth. I wasn't trying to be humble and noble. I was going, this is true about me and about us. We're broken. And so I said, if you don't mind, we're going to start dismantling all of our programs. And we're going to get the men together first because we're the most broken. 
God's got to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We don't have a clue about covenant. And so we're going to start a men's boot camp. But I don't know what we're going to do with it. We're just going to get the men together and we'll see what happens. Body, soul, and spirit. And we're a bunch of orphan boys in men's bodies trying to figure out how to be real men in the kingdom who don't, didn't have fathers. That was the starting point. Now, that heavenly vision came to me. It got fleshed out on that vegetation, and I have not looked back since. Now, I've had made lots of mistakes, but I, I, my, my, the energy that's been in me is I know that people won't get healed and well without family, and even more importantly, God had put in my heart way early at 19 that his, his preferential treatment of people was first, youth, children and youth, second, the poor, and third, unreached people groups, in that order. So I'm 19, I'm in Africa, I have a visitation from the Lord, he goes, I want to make a covenant with you around youth, poor, and unreached people. That's before Fuller, that's before Ralph Winters and, and the perspectives and missions I was in Africa and God spoke to me. He goes, I am going to call you ultimately in such a way that your life and the people you're with will reach youth, poor, and unreached people groups, the nations. I went, okay. Now later he says, it takes a family, a tribe, and he, more specifically, a tribe, a family of families. He began showing me in that visitation, he's a tribal God. This is why tribes in the Old Testament and uh, the mentioning of tribes in the New Testament. James writes this letter, Hebrews, I'm writing to the 12 dispersed tribes of Israel, which was the Gentile church. There's references to Jesus is in a new tribe in the, in the order of Melchizedek. So the New Testament was built on tribal concepts, Hebraic concepts. Paul created, and, and, and Barnabas and Silas and those guys, they had an apostolic team of spiritual moms and dads who built an interconnected family of churches. They all were connected to each other. They exchanged money, time, resources, and people. They exchanged letters, the Galatian region, Ephesus. They were all connected. They weren't standalone, isolated, independent churches. They were a, a tribe led by tribal fathers and mothers. An APES team. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's the government of God. So it was twos and threes, missional kingdom families, microchurches, whatever you want to call them, house churches, interconnected to congregations led by elders. The congregations or local families were a part of a family of families called a tribe. That is the biblical model for how we are to not only get healthy as individuals, healed and healthy and mature, it is also the bridge, the love bridge to youth, poor, and unreached people groups. That is the vision. God is tribalizing the church. A tribe is our people. And the Lord showed me that the tribe has three levels. His tribal vision has three levels. Let's start with a tribe, big T. Tribe, big T, is the whole body of Christ Anybody that loves Jesus, that's the tribe big T. Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Episcopalians, 
Charismatics, Pentecostals, liturgical, Church of England, all that. Anybody that loves Jesus and is, recognizes that Jesus is God, he's not a God, he is God. That is the family of God. That's the tribe big T. Tribe middle T for us is all those that love revival, the restoring of the church, and the transforming of culture by, via the kingdom. You know, okay, revival meaning a lot of Jesus, his Holy Spirit poured out, signs and wonders, white hot love that results in obedience, reaching the lost through the power of God, the presence of God. That's revival. The restoring of the church to family, shifting it from a program-based design, PBD, to a family, to a tribe. And the transforming of culture, the seven mountains, you know, of influence, bringing the kingdom to the marketplace, to cities, to regions, to nations. All right. R revival, restoration, reformation, transformation. That's our tribe middle T. Well, that's global awakening. That's global legacy. That's Iris Ministries. So it's it's Randy Clark and Tom Jones and it's you know Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton. It's it's Heidi Baker and Rollin Baker. It's 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 you know more of the, the 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 vineyard, the charismatic. They may not have all the expressions of all of these, but they have enough of them to make us a part of their tribe middle T, and we have to honor that. We have to see ourselves as as accountable and submitted to the tribe middle T. We don't want to be isolated from the tribe big T or the tribe middle T. That's dangerous to get an elite spirit. But we're a part of a tribe little T because all those one another passages in scripture, you know, they have, they have to have real names, real faces, real places. You can't just say, well, I'm a part of the body of Christ and I can just drift around from conference to conference and church to church and expect to have meaningful growth and meaningful confrontation and challenge. So all the epistles were written to real people with real names, with real house churches mentioned. In other words, it wasn't just, woo, just out there, just esoteric and spiritualizing this thing. It was real live people that were being naughty. Every epistle was written to one of the local families where some of the members were being naughty. And Paul had to sort out family problems. Oh, these two ladies, they're, they're dividing the church. They're having a fight. That's the Philippians. That in that church, there was division. A couple of ladies were having a fight and they were dividing the church. And Paul, he wrote a letter. They were being persecuted and divided by, a, by conflict. So Paul, the apostolic father, with the others, intervenes and confronts the problem of that family. So there was a divine dance between the translocal and the local. They didn't micromanage the local, but neither did they let the local stand alone and be isolated and detached from the larger tribe, little t. There was an inner, there was an interconnectedness of mutual submission. So the culture was, let's submit to the Christ in each other. Let's be humble. That's a great phrase. That's one of our key ones. Because in a real family, everyone has a voice. Everyone has power. So we submit to the Christ in each other. 
I mean, come on, you guys. In a real family, when a baby's born, do you not think that baby's got a voice? That baby's <laughs> that baby hijacks the entire agenda of the family, and that baby isn't producing a thing, can't even speak English or German or French. That baby can just dominate the family because it's a new it's a new creature in town, and the, the energy of that family has to shift toward the least of these. So never in a family is there a hierarchy in such a way that um, that someone loses their value. In a real family, everyone is of equal value, of equal love, of equal importance. Now, not everyone is of equal um, influence, or I should say equal governing rank. Just like in the Trinity, there's a subordination of role. So in a, in a family, there's equality of value, but subordination of role. Not everyone has the same rank in a family, but the Lord says, but you're, the higher ranking officers or the higher ranking fathers or in the family or generals in the army, they exist for the least of these. So you, it's an inverted triangle. You never get to lord over people in a dominating way. You come underneath and lead as a servant in the kingdom. But the culture has to be healthy family. So the reason why we've worked hard over these last 18 years to integrate these three elements, major elements, how do you be a people of presence and revival? At the same time, how do you be a people that, that facilitates healing and maturity in the lives of broken people in the setting of family? How do you do that? That's a problem. That's hard. And thirdly, how do you bring the kingdom in practical ways to a broken world, in the marketplace, in poor neighborhoods, where crime is dominating the culture? So all of these problems I was faced with as a young man, and um, under this vision, the Lord required me to pull out of the traditional model of church for a you know, and to begin to re retool to be a spiritual father of a family and an army that would bring the kingdom to cities, starting with youth, then to poor, then unreached. This is why we were required by heaven to move to the inner city of Kansas City and start the first church in the Rock Tribe in the hood, in the inner city. Because the Lord wanted us to be up close and interacting with youth, broken youth, the poor, and the nations. And in that part of Kansas City where we started our first church, um, it was not far from what was called the Don Bosco Center, which is the number one place for international re refugees that came into the Midwest to be resettled. So that was a resource for refugees that were coming to the America. It was the cheapest housing, and it was the best place to resettle. So in the inner city of Kansas City, the, the old Northeast it's called, are, are the largest concentration of the international community. 70, 80 nations down there. I mean, Vietnamese, not just Hispanic, not just African-American, but Somalis from Africa. But, you know, I'm talking about every nation you can imagine it was down there. And we were called to move into the middle of that place to be a family, to learn how to um, love each other under the anointing and to reach youth, poor, and, unre and unreached people groups. 
which were right there, our neighbors. We didn't have to go to another country. The other country came to us. And that's still the mandate on that hub, that apostolic prophetic hub in the inner city of Kansas City. And my son and daughter are just now learning to become pastoral leaders in what is God's called an apostolic hub. It went through a church split. It went through difficulty, but it's recovering and it's back into the flow. So the first building we bought down there was the, a convent that had been abandoned. We rehabbed it. We ended up eventually moving into it in the inner city, Janet and I, and helping to build this inner city hub. And people moved in from around the country. They rehabbed homes. We formed a, a redemptive community in the inner city. And crime rate dropped. And many things now are going as spun out of that vision. One of them was the urban farming guys, which is a, a, a vision to see sustainable community come brought into the middle of third world nations or inner cities to restore um, economics, micro-business, and actual food. Protein, we had a little tilapia farm in the inner city, gardening, solar, all that. Sustainable community, which is a big part of our vision. But most people don't know about that. Because that's the transforming of culture piece. So the vision has grabbed me. I am of that. I get up every day and all three of those great big kingdom realities are in my DNA. I'm always about how, how can I encounter and be intimate with the person of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, and know my Father in heaven. How can I be fully alive and animated by God himself and be a man that's in revival? Revival meaning resuscitated and fully alive in the presence of the Lord. How can I be that kind of man? That consumes me. I read all kinds of stuff on revival. I'm constantly ministering to the Lord, constantly moving on how can I be more electrified and set apart and holy before the Lord so I don't grieve or quench the Spirit. The second thing I think about is how do I help facilitate inner healing, deliverance, de-traumatizing people and then helping people get out of trauma and then into wholeness and maturity in the context of family. How do we equip people and heal people enough to where they can grow into the likeness of Christ? And I know that can't happen without family, without skin. And so my trouble has been finding enough healthy people that are healthy enough to help other people become mature when they themselves are so broken. And I'm talking about Everyone, not one person, including myself, who's come into the Rock Tribe has come in healthy. Not one. I'm including trained pastors, trained therapists, <laughs> not one of them. And they all had a perception of their health that was whacked out and wrong because the plumb line for health had never been put up in front of them. So their point of reference to their own health was was off, they thought they were healthier than they really were because the grid they were using was warped. They were comparing themselves by other sick people. You get my point? That's like, that's like being anemic and not knowing you're anemic because everybody else around you has jaundice and anemia. You're going, well, I'm just as tired and weary as everybody else and 
So I, I guess I'm, health, I'm healthier than them because I can walk two blocks and they can only walk one and a half blocks. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, you're anemic, they're anemic, the whole thing is anemic, and we better get another definition of wholeness because we're now enabling dysfunction. So I, I don't have an option, though to get irritated and frustrated and quit on people. I don't have that option because I am being animated by a vision that has captured me. I don't have it. I am compelled by love. I'm compelled by an energy that's coming from another realm. I don't have a choice in one sense. I do, I guess, but I really don't. If I want to stay on the planet and do what I'm called to do, I don't have a choice. And thirdly, I see broken cities, I see broken businesses, I see broken educational systems, I see broken everything, and I know that, God, that the earth is groaning for sons of God to fix the problem and bring the kingdom on earth. And I don't have a choice. I have to think about business. I have to think about people working and bringing light into grocery stores and, and design business. I have to think about this I, because I'm a businessman, and I believe God wants to restore cities. I don't have a choice. Now, I am not interested in having a church or a church planning movement that, that runs on mission. I can't do it anymore. I'm too tired at 63 to do that. I have to be a part of a people that are consumed with a vision. That vision. What is the vision? It's the, it's, the, it's the Spirit of God flowing through the family of God, advancing the kingdom of God for the glory of God to the nations. I want to put it another way. <laughs> it's Christ in Christ's body bringing Christ's kingdom. You want to put it another way. It's, the, it's, 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 it's Christ and His kingdom coming through families of churches. It's helping bring and mature, heal and mature sons and daughters of God in the setting of family so that together they can advance His kingdom on earth for His glory. That's the big why. It's His glory. It's His kingdom. It's His family. It's the Great Commission. Those are the big whys. But the big what is family. Family, because God's a father and a son, he must build his kingdom in family. He cannot contradict his essence. He must be congruent with who he is. And he's going to bring his kingdom on earth through sons and daughters of God in family because he's a family man. He's a tribal being. And without tribes, little t, middle t, big t, he will not, cannot bring his kingdom on earth. He will not do the kingdom outside of the family of God. So we have got to confront the isolation and the independence of the American spirit, which is super not Hebraic. It's super not biblical. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anti-Christ spirit. Do you understand? Christ is one. Christ is one. He's one body. His body and He are inseparable. You cannot separate the body of Christ from Christ Himself. 
And anytime there's any kind of an isolation and an independence, I can come, I can go, I can give or not give, I can, I'm in charge of my own life. That spirit is an antichrist spirit. And it's almost easier to go to more uh, relationally based cultures like Asia, even though it's broken as, a, as all get out, or the Middle East. They're more understanding culturally of family and honoring the elderly and being connected and being hospitable and opening their lives up. That is so not America. We roll into our garages, shut the door, and stay away from people and watch our TVs. So this is what we're about. What I'm about, and if I'm about it, Everybody else has to be about it. You say, well, what, is, what does that mean? Nope, that's exactly what I mean. I am, I'm the spiritual apostolic father, and I will not apologize <laughs> for that. And what's on me has to infect everybody, just like Paul. Now, does that mean I'm so special and so important and that nobody else has this? No, lots of people have this. In fact, I venture to say, you've been pre-wired for this vision as much as I have. You may be walking in it better than I am. I hope you are. I have no interest in being the only dude that's carrying the torch. I have, I'm so tired right now and so old. <laughs> I can't do this alone. I need old people. In fact, this is an intergenerational vision. It won't be done without real, real, real old people and little bitty, bitty, bitty babies and everybody in between. We need lots of gray hairs. We need lots of kids and we need each other deeply. And, and the real thing that's where I see is what this is being set up for is people that aren't even born and won't be born for a hundred years. Somebody's got to be an early adopter and figure out what God's up to and step in and start building what God's up to, even at, the, at great cost to their own lives. And this vision has cost me my life. We sold everything. We moved into the inner city. We put our lives and our kids at risk. My kids and my grandkids are still at risk in the hood. We are still at risk. And I'm a massive threat to the system. And I'm instantly hated almost everywhere I go by people that have... a. Uh, uh, to protect a system that's paying their bills. Do you understand? Like I am immediately called of the devil and, and, and suspicious because they're, oh, he used the term apostle. He's a cult leader. He's this, he's that, he's family. People are committed to each other. That means they're a cult. He's trying to control. I mean, I have been charged with every single thing in the book when the last thing in my heart is to control anybody as we've talked about in the past, a covenantal way of life in family and in tribe requires total freedom. So you can cast a vision, but you can never impose this on anyone. And if people leave, you've got to bless them and release them with joy. Now, I haven't always done that very well in the past because I've, I'm so passionate about the poor and about children and about the nations that when people leave and they leave poorly, I have challenged some people, not every people, for the way they've done it and that got me in trouble and I've learned from that. In other words, it looked like I was 
um, controlling. Okay, so in my passion and my love, it, it has, you know, I, I crossed a line, I think, in some of that energy. It was energy. It was the energy I was sending. Now, the Lord so kicked me around on that one and disciplined me, I have almost the opposite. It's like, hey, look, if this isn't vision, isn't animating you, and this isn't in you, I really hope you don't stick around. <laughs> now, that's probably a little overreacting. <laughs> because of some pain. But I want to get right in the middle where I'm just, hey, look, whatever happens, it happens. And and no one is going to be condemned or thought a lesser Christian or put down or if they don't have the gas in their tank to do it, no one is going to be, if somebody moves away or moves in and moves out, they're never going to be charged with being a lesser believer or lesser committed. Everybody, we're happy with everyone. And... All I know is that outside of connecting with Jesus and being a, hearing the sound of heaven and getting this vision, which is very difficult and costs our lives, people won't finish well if it, they pick it up as a mission. They will, they will make it a certain amount of time hanging on for dear life, and then at some point they'll be too offended. They'll be offended with me or someone else They'll be irritated. They'll be gassed out, whatever. You'll gas out with a mission. You will not gas out with a vision. You'll get discouraged sometimes. You'll get a little hopesick now and then, but you'll never gas out. So I am more animated. I, even though I'm physically tired and older, I am more animated by this now than I ever have been before. It's not decreased in me. It's increased. Except my, my skill set has increased and my hands off has increased. I'm, I'm way more open-handed. It's like I'm not going to, I don't hold on to people in an illegal way. But I, I desire to see people connected, but I don't want to have any demand in my spirit that sends the message of ought and should. So there has to be complete freedom and joy and no oughts and shoulds and obligations. Exactly. I mean, it, it must be hard to learn over the years, but it seems that that's what you are sharing right now. And God doesn't want us, but for us wanting Him. Yeah, and, and I think for me, I was wired very sensitively. I'm a very sensitive person. I feel deeply. I'm very, whatever, uh, sensitive. And um, I'm also very emotional. And I also have a, this gift that I didn't understand until... I mean, maybe 10 years ago I started teaching on it, was the affection of Christ Jesus and the joy of the Lord. But I, I got this download of affection from Christ Jesus. It's, a, it's in Philippians 1.8. Paul says, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it was a spiritual fruit that I was given that made, uh, put, caused me to connect with people way before they connect with me. Like, I literally experience a supernatural affection for people. I can see them by the Spirit. I love them deeply so much that I never, ever want to live without them. It, it is a very strong impulse. I cannot understand when people don't reciprocate that. Or they do at some level, because when you sow, you reap. But it's not the degree or the level of connectedness that I have with them. So I, I love them far more than they love me back. Because I've been more healed. I'm less broken, 
and I have a father's heart. And so I don't understand it when people can break that bond of affection. I, I, that, does, that just confuses me and it hurts and it's been hurtful. So my protest came out of hurt, not out of control, but it came off like control. So now I've now understood this gift far more. It's the gift of love. I far more understand this and how to steward it. I, I'm going to be just as passionate about affection, but with no strings attached. And whether it's rock or no rock. In other words, I want to send that vibe of affection to every human being I ever meet all the time, anywhere. And if they happen to be drawn into this family, great. If not, doesn't matter. I mean, really, does it? Doesn't matter because God wants them to enjoy that through skin. So I did not understand that. I thought that affection was primarily for building a tribe. And I didn't understand the stewardship of that emotion and that but it's more than an emotion it's actually an animating influence of the lord when i meet people that have that gift it's awesome i mean to me it's like oh i found you and but i know that no one has that gift without also being broken so you can be you can you can make the mistake of of having hooks in your affection or, or not knowing how to express it maturely to the person you're in front of. I mean, I used to hug and kiss everybody. I mean, I, I had no discriminating. <laughs> I, would like, I was like a great Dane that was like a, like a puppy, but was full grown. And when people would walk in, I couldn't, I couldn't control my, I, I, I would throw my arms around them and kiss them. And I, re, I didn't realize that on the other end of that might be some guys that were poorly, wrongly touched by other men. Or women that were sexually abused. That never even entered my mind. Because I couldn't... I mean, and then finally the Lord goes, Will you please dial it down a little bit? He said, not the affection, but the way you give expression to it. He goes, you've got to discern who you're in front of. It's like, wow, I had to be schooled in this. My, my learning curve has been terribly awesome. So I get it when people stumble on themselves and put their foot in their mouth and say dumb things. And I have done every stupid mistake you can imagine. And I have great empathy for broken people, people that are growing in this area of love. I mean, just because I've been so broken. So um, that is the story of vision in my life. And I thank you for letting me share it. Because it's, it's a holy and sacred thing to me. It's like a baby. And I, I put this baby out, and some people say, that's one ugly baby. I don't want anything to do with it. And other people go, oh, my God, that baby is beautiful. And I'm like, wow, you see the baby like I see the baby. So I have people looking at the Rock Tribe. We'll, go, we'll have this little family reunion. A couple hundred people will show up from Kansas City, from El Paso, from Kirkland, from wherever. And they're in this tribe. And it's not that impressive numerically, but you'll feel an energy of affection. You'll feel a connection. And people show up, and the next thing you know, they're getting rocked. I mean, like Linda Sadler gets in her car, raises some money. She had no money, drives to, to Laramie. The jacuzzi of affection hits her. She goes right into the swirl of God's love and father heart of God and family. And she goes, holy crap, this is my family. I found my people. And she looked at the baby and goes, this is beautiful. And it's an ugly building. I mean, ugly building. Uh, you know, not that many people. Nobody's that awesome and nobody's that healthy. But she knew that she knew she found her peeps. 
and now she just sold everything. She bought a truck and she's going to travel around from location to location being a spiritual daughter and mother and build up the tribe. That's Linda Sadler. That's an example. And I, I, I've had people, so stories so dramatic you would not even believe it. They dropped everything and moved and did what they knew because they found their people. Then other people go, this isn't, this is not that, I don't want to, I don't really, I can take it or leave it. I can come or go. Like it's, it's optional. And I'm saying to them, okay. For me, these people aren't optional. Because I didn't choose my parents and I didn't choose my family. God did. They didn't choose me. I didn't choose them. God chose my family. I didn't get to choose them. I don't get around, go around and, 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 and um, decide whether... That's the church for me because I've, I've read their, email, their website and looked at their brochure. God sovereignly put me in family. God puts the lonely in family. God chose the people that I get to be with. And I get to be with some of the bizarrest people you've ever met. Some of them have so little emotional intelligence, it would blow your mind. I mean, so, so many warped, weird personalities. And I adore them. I adore them. I love them. I can't tell you how much I love the people, even, even the most nerdy. Because one, I'm a bit of a nerd. And two, I just love the people God's put in my life. And I know it's a sovereign joining. And I don't get the luxury of dumping them because I happen to be troubled by some of their foibles and weirdnesses and dysfunctions. I don't get to throw them away. I get to create a culture of belonging, not judgment, and not rejection. So this is going to be a rejection-free family. We will not judge. We will move in mercy and grace. We will discover how to see people's true selves and not be prof professional critics on their false self. We will not look at the log, uh, the splitter in their eye and not at the log in our own eye. We will not become experts on other people's weaknesses and use it as an excuse to reject and kick out and divide from them. We will create a culture of affection and we will get this because God is on us. We have the energy of heaven and I don't care how big we get in my lifetime or the next lifetime, we're building a model, a paradigm and a prototype that we believe God's doing in the entire church. But not everybody will be required to do this as early adopters. I guarantee you there's some good old Baptist preachers that love Jesus more than me, that are amazing, and they know what I'm talking about, but they'll never be asked to get out of their context of ministry in their lifetime. They will be asked to stay in that beautiful denomination and serve God there, and I have no judgment toward the denominational churches. I think they're amazing. And you know what? I think God might even tribalize denominations. I think God may turn it into a family. So, yes, 